right spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. But the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying others. We're going across to Galatians chapter 6 and just verses 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. We eventually got the right one up there. It's my fault for having... Uh, I had last week's talk up there rather than this week's talk. One in front of each other. Uh, so what we've been thinking about is, uh, haven't we, how to be changed, become more and more like Jesus. And I think sometimes when we think about that, it's actually like we're in a tug of war. Uh, I don't know whether you've ever been in a tug of war, but it used to be something we always did at school. We'd have a tug of war, you'd have... People come from all over the place and uh, you'd have teams from either side and you have a tug of war or we do it at beach parties, we do it all over the place. Tug of war used to be a really fun thing we did. Uh, they even do it here at the Beef and Reef. They have the tug of war for that. We even used to have it at our church picnics where we used to have a tug of war as well, where we used to have Evans Head versus Ballina. I think Evans Head won every year. Not that we're competitive or anything like that. Uh, but it's a, it's a funny thing, is it's a great opportunity where you get to go backwards and forwards with one another. And the key to having a tug-of-war team is having the biggest bloke on the end, isn't it? If you've got the biggest bloke at the end, then you're going to be OK. Then you want to work the rest of it out. Maybe you have boots on, maybe you get down low. There's a certain amount of technique that goes into it. Well, sometimes I think not only is tug-of-war fun like that, but we actually get into a tug-of-war in life, don't we? between people sometimes in our relationships. We get into tug of war, one going one way, one going the other. Sometimes we get into a tug of war at work with our boss and the people we work around. Sometimes we get into tug of war at home between our wives and watching sport on the weekend. We get into those options, don't we? Sometimes that happens. But we also get into a tug of war in a life as Christians as well, don't we? Uh, And that's what that Galatians chapter is about. It talks to us about how when we're followers of Jesus, when we put our trust in Jesus, then there's actually a conflict going on in our lives. Uh, If you looked at verse uh, 17, it says, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Uh, There's that pull, isn't there? Either way, do I want to follow Jesus? Ah, oh, but there's so much more over here. Do I go this way? Do I go that way? 
there's a struggle going on and Galatians talks about that, doesn't it? A struggle between wanting to live for the flesh or living for sin and a struggle for living for the spirit or living for Jesus. Tug of war between those two. And that goes on and on and on. And our life is actually going to be like that. And so as we've been thinking about a life of change, it's going to be a bit of a tug of war, isn't it? Life where we, do we live for sin, go that way, or do we live for Jesus? Do we sow to the flesh or do we sow to the spirit? How do we go on about that? Maybe. You see, because ultimately what we want to become, isn't it? What we, our change project has been about, what we've been wanting to change to become more and more like Jesus is so that we become good representatives of God in this world, that we are to mirror him well. Remember Genesis chapter 1? We're to be made in the image of God to image him well. We are to be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. And so it's going to be a lifelong thing that we're going to do. This change project that we're on, we might have had our one change project and said, yes, I might have got that one. Well, there's another one going to come up, isn't there? And we might have said, well, yes, okay, I'm more like Jesus now, here, but then there's going to be another thing that we need to become more like Jesus like. And it's going to keep going on. And so we're going to continue to have a life of change, a bit of a tug of war going on with us. And as we do that, it's good to have gone through what we've done, isn't it? That's what I encourage you to do. When we're going through this tug of war, to keep thinking about the stuff that we've heard about in the last five weeks. Remember who we are in Christ, that we are a child of the one true King, that we've been saved and been made part of his family, that our identity is wrapped up in him, that our heart is under reconstruction. We're being changed from the inside out, not the outside in. It's being changed from here out. That we've been turning from lies to truth, haven't we? The lies that the world has been going on. Remember the song right back at the beginning, the lies, regret, doubt, all those lies that keep playing. And we want to turn from those lies to the truth of God. That God is gracious. That God is great. That God is good. That God is great. So we don't have to be in control. That God is glorious. So we don't have to fear anyone else. That God is good. So we don't need to look for satisfaction anywhere else that God is gracious, so I don't have to prove myself. He's done it for us. Uh, Dave and I were having a bit of a chat earlier about our week and what's been going on, and we've said we're going to get those things and plaster them on our fridge so that when we wake up each morning, we come and see that and remind us of that as we head out into the world around us. And they make a difference. They make a difference. Turning from the lies of what... Satan and the world's trying to take us away to the truths of God, changing our mindset. Remembering that God is bigger than sin. He can beat it and God is better than sin. He's a lot greater than him. We, we, we want to be for him, not for sin. But we want to remember that we take sin serious, that we don't justify it, that we don't minimise it, that we don't hide it. We recognise it and we repent of it. And as we do those things, then we'll start to be on the track towards a life of change. And this week we're going to see that we're going to keep going on a lifetime to be changed to be more and more like Jesus. And this is where Galatians comes in. Uh, If you've got Bibles, make sure you keep them open and have a look at what it says. Look at Galatians verse 7 said, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. 
Whoever sows to the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. The Bible uses lots of agricultural terms, doesn't it, to explain things. And it's talking about sowing one way and sowing another. It's living for one way or living for another is another way of putting it. Let's jump back on that one, sorry. See, when we sow to the sinful nature, we need to stop doing that. We have to avoid sowing to the sinful nature. That is, that is anything that strengthens our desire to be less like Jesus. We're not to go down that path. Anything that strengthens our desire to not be like Jesus or be less like him is stuff we want to avoid. And what we want to sow to the Spirit is doing anything that strengthens our desire to be more like Jesus. And that's what we're going to be thinking about today. Don't sow to sin, but sow to the Spirit. Don't do things that encourage your desire to not live like Jesus, but encourage things to live like Jesus. That's what we're going to be thinking about today. So whoever sows to please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. And it's so true, isn't it? You know, the things we do, they come back to us, don't they? It's not karma, as people try to work it out, because that has a really horrible outcome, karma. Uh, but what we find out here is the stuff that we do, the things that we do, do come back to us, don't they? And we're going to try to avoid doing things that are going to make us more like, less like Jesus. If we become less and less like Jesus, the things we do... That's what is sowing to the flesh. That's going that direction. We want to not do that. And verse 19 in chapter 5 are acts that show that, aren't they? Actions that do that. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. They are the actions, they are the outcome of a life that is lived to sow to the flesh or to sow to be less like Jesus. Now that's not all. There's a whole lot more that could be said about that. Uh, but in Galatians we get this little picture of it, don't we? They're the things that are going to make us less like Jesus. They're the things that we are to avoid. And the Bible says that we are to flee it. Flee from sexual immorality in 1 Corinthians 16. Flee from idolatry in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 14. And they say that for a reason because I reckon we mostly ask this question. I'm not doing well with the old clicker today, am I? How far can you go? If you ever talk to a teenager who's getting into a relationship for the first time, their first question is, how far can I go? Can I hold their hand? Can I kiss them? Can I touch them? Can I... How far can I go? It's how close can I get to the line, isn't it? And we all do that, don't we? How far can I go in my relationship with someone from the opposite sex who isn't my husband? How far can I go on my tax return before I become illegal? How far can I go in my gossiping with someone else? How far can I get with... We do that, don't we? How far can I go before I'm over the line? Whereas the Bible actually says flee. Go the other way. And the Bible also says to us that God always provides a way out. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful who will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So you can flee or so when you're in it, you will survive in it so you can get out the other side. He'll provide ways out for us. He'll provide an opportunity to flick off the computer switch. He'll provide an opportunity to speak in a different way. He'll provide an opportunity to get in the car and leave. He'll provide an opportunity for us to get out of whatever situation is around us 
that wants to take us down the path to be less like Jesus. He will and he does. We've just got to have the eyes to see it. As we avoid that, as we flee that, as we remember that we want to become more like Jesus, then we want to do the opposite of that and sow to the Spirit. Verse 7 says, Whoever sows to uh, please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Uh, a couple of weeks ago I showed you this picture of the lawn in our backyard and it wasn't good, was it? Uh, and it needed a bit of work doing to it. Well, there's another part of our garden that also needed a bit of work doing to it. It was our garden. Now, that didn't look exactly what it looked like but because uh, I couldn't take a picture before because we've changed it. But... Uh, Gardens look like that, don't they? Overrun with weeds, completely taken over. And if you left that like that, then the weeds will take over and completely destroy, won't they? Well, just recently we got into our garden. Well, Karina got into our garden. And she got rid of all the weeds and replanted things in there. And so now that's what our garden looks like. It didn't look quite as bad as the other one before, but not far off. But see now, there's actually, because we've got rid of the weeds, we've removed them, we haven't just left the soil by itself, have we? We haven't just removed the weeds and said, okay, well, that's okay. Because the weeds would just come back. We've replanted stuff and the weeds aren't coming back as bad. Now, there's little options out there, but we've replanted other plants. And when we replant other plants, it stops the weeds from growing up. And that's what those verses are saying, is that don't sow to the flesh and to sin, sow to the spirit. If you're going to get rid of the stuff that's going to be make us less like Jesus, you've actually got to put something else in there. You can't just leave it barren. I think we think that's the case, don't we, sometimes? We think, oh, well, I've become a follower of Jesus, got rid of sin, that's okay, I'm okay now, I'm fine. But that sinful nature comes back, doesn't it? It comes back in and it develops and the weeds grow back up again. We've got to replant things in. We've got to sow to the Spirit. We've got to plant things in there so that the garden looks like that and not like the other one. And so that's what I'm going to do now. I'm going to give you seven plants that you can put into your garden that will help you have a life of change and so hopefully the tug of war will go towards the strong man, towards Jesus, rather than away from him. Now, they're not amazing. They're not something fantastic that's all been brought out. They're all from the Bible and they're straightforward, but we all need to hear them because we sometimes miss them. The first plant that we need to plant is the Bible. You see, you can find out about God in creation, true, You can sit out on the headland and go, wow, God is amazing, but it's only a snippet of it. But in the Bible, God reveals himself to you and I. That's where we find out about him. Don't get afraid. I encourage you to sit on our headland and look and go, God, you're amazing. But how about you sit on the headland and go, God, you're amazing, and look at his word as well. Because in his word, you see his beauty. In his word, you see Jesus. In his word, you see how Jesus is the answer and the one that holds the whole of the Bible together. And he captures you. He captures the vision and he captures you. Take time to do that. I think as Christians, those who have been following Jesus for a long time, you've probably heard, yeah, no, read the Bible and you'll go through phases and you'll drop it and go through phases. We do that, don't we? But really, the more we're in the Bible, the more we are going to be like Jesus because we more get to know him. You can't possibly think that I'm going to become more like Jesus by just walking around the streets and think some way by osmosis is just going to happen. 
The way you get to know a friend is by spending time with a friend. The way that you get to be like someone or be trained, you've got to spend time with them. You've got to do the effort, guys. We need to get into the Bible. I can't stress that to you enough. And you say, oh, well, I find it hard. Well, we all find it hard. Get over it. Get into it. It's not an excuse, I'm sorry. It's not an excuse. It's a pathetic excuse, ultimately, because there is so much stuff out there that will help you get into it. And you know where to get into it. But it's really slackness, isn't it? Ultimately. And I'm not pointing at you, I'm pointing at me, guys. Okay? It's slackness. We just get slack and we bolt back a bit and we go, oh, no, I can get on with this. I can get through the day without it. I can get through the week without it. I can get through the month without it. But we can't. We need to get into the Word. We need to spend time in the Word where we actually can allow it to saturate our minds. Have time to do that. Make time to do that. We schedule lots of things, don't we? We schedule plenty of time. I make sure that every morning I get 15 minutes at least to read the Sydney Morning Herald. I am religious at that. I can do that. And it's 90% garbage. It helps me get to understand a bit of the world. But man, God's word, it's there. Why don't I get into that for 15 minutes every morning? Why don't I do that first rather than Sydney Morning Herald? Now, Karina's going to say, yep, Paul, put down that laptop, that uh, iPad when you're sitting and eating breakfast and open up God's Word. Uh, Bob Chapman, he's on a, on a Facebook page that says, the Word before Facebook. So uh, you've got to look at Word first and then it takes you to Facebook or something. But it's the Word before Facebook. It actually goes to the Bible first before you get there. We've got to plant it in, guys. We've got to plant it in. Sow it in so that the others don't come across us. That's plant one. Plant two is prayer. It's got to be our first port of call, doesn't it? Prayer is where we've got to go to before we go to anything else, before we go to Facebook, before we go to Sydney Morning Herald, before we go to Google, before we go to Wikipedia, before we go to whatever plan that's out there for how we should live our lives. We've got to go to prayer. And put the prayer and the Bible together. Do that together. Spend time in it together. Spend time, just get into it. Again, it's only slackness that we don't do it. We've got to make the time. I don't know about you, but for me, I'm hopeless during holidays because my time frame's all out of the place. But when my week's normal, I schedule stuff better. Well, I should schedule that all the time. Schedule it in. Say, okay, this is it. This is the time. It's going to happen here. Work it out in your time frame. Is it the morning? Is it the evening? Is it the afternoon? Is it lunchtime? And that's it. That's when it happens. Schedule it in. Make it happen. You can pray any time, by the way. But good to schedule it in. The third one is community. We've been talking about that, haven't we? God has actually placed us in community. He hasn't just saved us to be ourselves. He hasn't just saved us by ourselves. He's actually saved us to bring us into his community, into his body. Ephesians 4 says this, As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit just as you called to one hope when you were called. So you were called to Jesus to become part of his body that is with a whole lot of people. You weren't called to Jesus to be by yourself. You were called to Jesus to be in his body together. 
And look what he says in verse uh, 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists and pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We cannot be more like Jesus by ourselves. Do you know that? We cannot change to be who God created us to be by ourselves because you weren't created to be by yourself. You're created to be in the body of Christ. You're created to be in the unity. So when it says to be the fullness of Christ, you cannot get to be the fullness of Christ unless you're in the body, being encouraged by all the gifts of the body together to become the fullness of Christ. You cannot do it by yourselves. Yeah, there are elements we've got to do by ourselves. We can spend time in the Bible, we can pray. There's elements we can do by ourselves and we can grow in it. But you will not reach the fullness of Christ unless you're in community and doing that in community. That's a challenge, isn't it? Because we're very individual, aren't we? Very individual about how we do things. It's my life. It's my job. It's my faith. It's my relationship. Well, actually, no. You've actually been saved by Jesus to bring into his body, to encourage one another into the fullness of Christ. When it says in verse 15, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is ahead, that is Christ. For him, the whole body, joined and held together, every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You and I, even though you may not like it, are actually joined by ligaments. We're actually joined together by Christ. And when you are sinning and falling away from Jesus, I'm feeling it. When I'm falling away from Jesus and sinning, you are feeling it. When I'm not living the way that God wants me to be more and more like Jesus, you are being in fact impacted by that and affected by it, and I'm being infected and impacted by you. We don't often think that, do we? Think, oh, my sin's just about me and God. No, 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 no. My sin's about me and God, yes, but about us together as well because we're joined together. If one part of the body is not operating the way that God wants us to be, the whole body feels it and is impacted by it. I got a sore thumb not that long ago playing, touch, uh, playing tennis. It was a very interesting game. I was playing this 15-year-old boy, okay? And this 15-year-old boy, uh, we're playing a singles game because we normally play doubles. We were playing singles. And this 15-year-old boy got on top of me the first three games, 3-0 three down. That is not good for my head, by the way, okay? 3-0 down. And so as I'm getting to know how this guy plays, I started working him out a little bit. So I started to get back into the game. I got back to three all, then I got back to four, three, and then it started to rain, and things started a little bit interesting. And this guy started to play a little bit better as well, but I wasn't going to let him beat me. And then I came in on this one point, and we've gone backwards, and we've gone backwards and forwards, and then he's put this hit shot that's gone across, and when it hit, it hit the net. Do you know what happens when it hits the net? Changes the angle completely of the tennis ball. So I'm running across to get this, because I don't let anyone get past me. I've got to go hard. I'm running across, and then I had to change direction. Well, at 47 and changing direction in the wet, that is not pretty. And so what I've gone flying across, it's changed. Whoa, next minute, shoo, I've gone over. The tennis racket's gone down in the ground then smacked me in the stomach. I've gone over and I've hit the thumb and the thumb's gone up in the air. There's this little 15-year-old boy laughing at the other side of the net. <laughs> Silly old man. There he is, sprawled across the tennis court. 
That was game over. I couldn't pick up the tennis racket because my thumb. I would have taken him on. There was skin. I was bleeding. I had cuts everywhere. But I would have beaten him after. I'm telling you. I had him. I had him. He was mine. But my thumb ruined it. I couldn't hold the tennis racket. Oh, because his stupid thumb. Well, I could have gone left-handed. But that would have been really demoralising to him, wouldn't it, if I'd have beat him left-handed as well. Um, <laughs> I, hit, I hit, hurt my thumb. I couldn't play. And that thumb has been sore for weeks and it's still sore and it still hurts me. Just one stupid little thumb stopped me. That's a picture of the body of Christ too, isn't it? You might think you're the smallest, most inconspicuous little bit of flesh over here or the little toe. But your little toe impacts the whole thing. We're in it together, guys. We need to do this together. We're on about a change project together to become more like Jesus. And that means that we all know that we're falling short. We all know that we're not good enough. We all know that we we sin. We all know that we're not there yet. But together we're to encourage one another to become more like him. It's not for me to sit over and say, oh, well, look, you're the bad toe today. Come on, pick up your game. No, 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 we're all bad toes. We're all together. We've got to be in it together to encourage one another to become the fullness of Christ, to grow up into him. So we need to make time that we're with together, don't we? Sunday's a great opportunity, but not the only opportunity. During the week, get to growth group. During the week, bring one another up, pray for one another, talk to one another, email one another, text one another, encourage one another. Don't let it just be what happens here. Come on the camp next weekend. Great opportunity in that relaxed atmosphere. While you're there, enjoy one another's company, but just ask how you're going with your walk with Jesus. Maybe pray with somebody on the side when you need to be there. Talk to each other about that. Encourage one another about that. Remember last week we worked out that we've all got sin and if we justify it, minimise it and hide it, we're all the same. We don't think anyone here is more holy than anyone else because we're not. We're going to be open and love one another and speak the truth in love, it says, doesn't it? We need to do it together. Plant community, let's move to some of those. Corporate worship. Uh, we are to gather together. It is a good thing to get together. It is a good thing to gather together and sing songs together and pray together and read the Bible together. It's a great encouraging thing, isn't it? I, I don't know about you, but if I'm, as I say, I love sport. And if you go to sports games and sports teams, they have their theme songs, don't they? I talked a little bit about that the other week in the kids' talk. Uh, Hawthorne has my favourite football team, has a theme song. And in the grand final, if you go into the, what the TVs do, at the end of every game, it's the winner's team, they go into the team rooms and they listen to the team song and they sing it and they encourage one another and that boosts them up. In one sense, Sunday's a bit like that. Singing songs together is a great way to encourage one another to become more like Jesus. It's a great enthusiasm when we gather and do that, isn't it? We get amongst people to do that. But we have the great benefit, don't we, that we don't just have one song, we have lots of songs. Hawthorne only has one song, they sing it every week. We have lots of songs we can sing together. Hawthorne have a playbook, but it's only a playbook for one game. We have the playbook of the Bible that takes us for the whole of life. Hawthorne has one coach. He'll be gone in a couple of years, I'll need another one. We have the ultimate coach in Jesus who's here, who speaks to us through his word every week. We have far more than that, don't we? So don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, says Hebrews. But come together and encourage one another to spur one another on to love and good works, to be more like Jesus. 
We need to do it, guys. We need to not miss gathering together. And serve. It's a great way to get your mind off yourself, isn't it? So often we spend time on ourselves. We need to be serving one another. Get out and serve. That takes our mind off. We get out and do the good works that God has planned for us to do before time. Next week at the, at the camp, we're going to be thinking about Ephesians uh, verse 2, verse 10. That's going to be our verse for the day. That we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do the good things that God has created for us to do. Get out and serve and do that. Get out and help others. Show the love of God. What's the other end of that verse? It says in uh, chapter 6, it says, Let us not become weary in doing good. But the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. We do good to everybody and especially to each other. We have to look out for each other and serve one another. Not be so introspective on just who we are and what we're about. Get out and serve. Plant that in our lives. Now suffering, I'm not saying that you want to plant suffering in your life. But suffering is part of life, isn't it? And actually suffering can enable us to become more like Jesus. Because Jesus suffered, didn't he? He says, if you have to follow me, you have to take up your cross. It's not going to be easy. And sometimes when we look at suffering, we think, ah, it's the worst thing in the world. But ultimately, sometimes suffering can be the greatest thing to drive us to become more like Jesus. With suffering, we can either decide to get angry with it, distraught about it, get bitter about it or we can do the opposite and see what God's doing with us in it. Be thankful within it. Be gracious within it. And to be changed more like Jesus within it. Change perspective. You ever look at people who are going through suffering and are bitter and angry and depressed about it? It's very sad. The suffering's bad enough. But living that way is even worse. You see people who suffer who have hope, who have joy, who have graciousness, who are thankful for God within it, who see that this is part of God making them more like Jesus, transforms the way they live through it. Uh, this is a letter that was written by a guy called Paul Tripp. Uh, Paul Tripp's uh, a counsellor, but also a Christian minister. And his wife was in a tragic accident where she was caught and slammed between a wall and a car and she had basically her whole insides were crushed and she was in hospital for a long, long, long period of time. And Paul, at this point in time, wrote a blog on how he was going through what he was going through. And I thought I'd read this to you. You can read it on the screen as well. It's hard not to look at the day as a day of futile activity accompanied by needless discomfort. You can't honestly look at the day and make sense of it. Suffering transports you beyond the boundaries of your reason and your control. Suffering is a kidnapper that comes into our lives, blindfolds us and takes us to where we do not want to be. But suffering is not just a kidnapper, it's also a teacher. It instructs you to the fact that there is little that you actually control. It instructs you as to where reliable comfort and sturdy hope can be found. Like a patient teacher with a resistant student Suffering pries open your hands and asks you to let go of your life. Suffering invites you to find security, rest, hope and comfort in another. In that way, suffering is not just a kidnapper, 
not just a teacher, it's also a liberator. Suffering frees us to experience a deeper comfort and hope than we ever had before. And we've got to sow in hope. Because in the middle of suffering, we ultimately want to see the prize at the end, don't we? As we sow to the Spirit, then we reap eternal life. A life in perfection. A life where we become exactly like Jesus in eternity. You see, that's what we need to look for. That's what we have in front of us. That's what is ours in Christ, an eternity in perfection forever. Napoleon said that a good leader reveals reality and provides hope. A good leader reveals reality and provides hope. We have the reality, don't we? That if we sow to sin, sow to be less like Jesus, then we have hopelessness. Eternity without him, experiencing his wrath forever. When we sow the Spirit, we have hope of an eternity with him in perfection forever and a time now of hope where we actually can change, where we can actually become more and more like Jesus here and now. It's a great verse, isn't it? Galatians 2.20. We've uh, mentioned this throughout the series at different times it's come up. It says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself loves us so much that he gave Jesus so that we have life in him. Life now that's being transformed more and more like Jesus. Life in eternity, in perfection forever. We have a lifetime of change ahead of us, guys. A lifetime to be changed to be more and more like Jesus. We've been encouraged they don't so to sin, to be less like Jesus, but so to the Spirit, to become more like Him. Because that's what it's about, isn't it? Become more and more like Jesus. That's our challenge, guys. That's what our change project has been about. That's what our life is to be like, because that's what we were created to be, to be people who become more and more like Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that... You loved us so much that you brought us into your family through Jesus. And you love us so much that you want us to be changed more and more like him. You love us so much that you don't want to leave us where we are, but you want to take us to become more and more like your perfect son, Jesus. We want to thank you for that, Lord, and we thank you that you have given us uh, the spirit within us to change us and transform us to be with us, to help us, to encourage us, Lord, to be there, to help us plant into our lives, to sow into our lives things that are going to help us to become more like Jesus in every way. Lord, help us to sow in the Bible. Help us to sow in prayer. Help us to sow in our community, Lord. Help us to sow in corporate worship, getting together. Help us to understand suffering, Lord, and help us to sow in hope. And as we do that, Lord, we pray 
that you'll change us from the inside out. That we, our lives will become more and more living proof of you, the loving God, to the watching world. We ask this in Jesus' name.